Welcome to the Legit Lady Podcast, where we feature women who are nailing it in life. Hey, Legit Lady listeners, this is your host, Julie Fetterman, and welcome to the podcast where we feature impressive women to inspire the world. Woohoo! Thanks so much for tuning in. How you all doing? I'm good. I'm having a conversation with myself. That's what's happening. I'm looking out the window right now, and we have a gentle sideways snowstorm happening here in Canada. Definitely would rather be on a beach. How about you? We have an amazing episode planned for you this week. I'm really looking forward to introducing our guest. But before we do that, got to go back to our drum roll. Beautiful reviews that all of you have taken time out of your days, busy lives to leave. And I'm going to hop over to Stitcher here and uh, take a look and see what the latest and greatest looks like. Let's see, we've got... Chris Z says, insightful and honest. I just started listening to the show and I love it. Julie comes up with such interesting and engaging questions and her guests have really fantastic insight when it comes to navigating through this crazy, challenging world. Keep up the great work. Yay. Okay, that's what we plan on doing and thank you so much. That's awesome. And let's see, we got one here. It says, insightful and inspiring. Man, I love all the insightful insightfulness we're we're giving you. That's great. Uh, it says, I really enjoy the Legit Lady podcast and look forward to hearing more episodes. I highly recommend giving it a listen. Thank you. That's fabulous. Thank you so much for everyone who's taken time out of your lives to write a review uh, on iTunes, on Stitcher, subscribe, share, share, share. That really helps us. It helps to boost the algorithm, makes us seen more across platforms. And if you just feel like sharing a specific episode with someone in your life who you think would benefit, that is equally helpful for us too. And for those of you who are looking to go an extra mile for us and maybe give us a few bucks or help us fund this incredible wild adventure that we're on, we actually set up this really cool thing called a coffee or Kofi. So the whole idea is if you would want to take me out for coffee and pick my brain or take me out for coffee and uh, help support the podcast, you can go to this cool little website, which is coffee but spelled like kofi so ko-fi.com slash legit lady podcast again that's kofi so ko-fi.com slash legit lady podcast feel free take me out for a drink a coffee whatever keep me going it's a really great way to say thank you and hey you're doing great thumbs up woohoo all righty this week's guest is a total badass. And not because it's in the title of her new book, but this woman has 
gone through such an incredible roller coaster adventure in her life. I was reeling in this interview. Literally, my jaw was on the floor for about half of it. And this woman, she was actually through this whole interesting journey, spent some time as a dominatrix sex worker. And beyond that, she actually took the magic of being a dominatrix and transformed that into a practice of being a business performance coach and a really successful one at that. So successful that she's just recently released her book called The Inner Dominatrix Guide, Become a Badass in Business. If you're not excited, then I I don't know what to say because this is uh, absolutely incredible. I feel like I need some whip snapping noise in the background. So please join me in welcoming, welcoming, welcoming the one and only Dana Farron. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Just for everybody's sake, we'll stay away from that one. Yeah, <laughs> stay away from the illegal topics. Let's not make me yeah. admit to anything illegal. Yeah, 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 okay. yeah, yeah, yeah. No, <laughs> no smuggling here. Right. Okay. Well, Dana, it was a pleasure to have you here. Really glad that you came all the way to our humble studio. <laughs> oh, it is my pleasure, Julie. This is. I was looking forward to this. Oh, I'm so glad. Oh, yeah. me too. Honestly, people speak very highly of you, and I knew that you're a voice that would have so much inspirational value to our listeners. Oh, I feel warm and fuzzy already. Good. Okay, good. Check one. All right. So we talked about how this works. Ten main questions to get to know you, and especially considering your fabulous, interesting journey and cool background and accomplishments, there's going to be a lot of other great things that we can talk about. But to kick things off, let's start at the very beginning with question one, which is what advice would you give to your teenage self? I think the biggest thing would be to know that there's so much bullshit out there that, you know, it's like to stop buying it. Don't buy any of it as real. Don't believe what people impose on you and and know that, you know what, you're perfect just the way you are. What was the most tempting bullshit to buy into from your perspective? Mm, good question. Most tempting I think I would probably say I you know what I got sucked into more from conditioning was this idea that I wasn't smart, I wasn't pretty and I was fat. And none of those were true, but I really I bought it because I was told it a lot. Yep. I empathize. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure many of you empathize too. Man, yeah, that 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 was a very real thought. And how did you deal with those thoughts? I, th- I think some of it was one part logic. So I had, I was very gifted. I had a friend of mine who came along and she said to me, you know, after I'd moved out of the house and I, you know, I was like, I'm just, I don't know anything. I'm stupid. And she's like, are you kidding me? You, you should get your intellect, your IQ tested because you're probably at least up in the top five percentile, if not in the top three. And I'm like, wow, what? Right. It was just, it was such a dramatic shift to have somebody say that. And so I started looking into it and it was like, oh my God, yeah, I'm way smarter than I gave myself credit, um, which, you know, along the years made me realize, okay, the reason I get frustrated with people sometimes 
is because I get things faster because right. I am actually more intelligent than the majority of people. I mean, that's without bragging. It always feels kind of like <laughs> arrogant to say that. But I am so smart. <laughs> you know? No, own it, own it, own it. <laughs> yeah, but but recognizing that because I had always thought that I was stupid mm-hmm. and, and wondering why I was frustrated with people when it was actually the complete opposite. That's an interesting paradox. Wow. And was that conditioning coming purely from yourself or was mm-hmm. that conditioning coming from external sources? External, for okay. sure. My stepmother really, she she felt threatened by me. And, you know, I can look at this now, right? But it was, yeah, there was that. And there was the conditioning of, you know, growing up in a cult in that environment where they don't want women to feel empowered. They don't want women to feel like they can go and succeed and go off and go to college. So everybody's got these messages of like, you're just a woman. You're nothing. You're stupid. Right. And so that constant reinforcement had me really believing it. Wow. And I like how you just so casually threw out there. Yeah, I just growing up in a cult. It's, it's fine. Very normal. You know, some, does that, right? some of us go to public school, others grow up in a cult. That's great. Uh, so that that is incredibly important. And, and what I have to say about that point is even many of us who grew up with quote unquote, very normal upbringings, this is such a normal pattern. And mm. then this questioning of self continues on for in some cases, the rest of our lives. Um, Sometimes we never stop this and obviously it holds us back. But before we go into that, I I think it'd be really interesting for anyone who hasn't checked you out before online uh, to hear a little bit about your backstory. Because growing up in cults, I mean, that's not a normal, <laughs> normal everyday event in at least my life. But yeah, and it's, you know, it's, it's very different. So I, I grew up in what would be considered more of a mild cult. And some people don't even consider it a cult. So it was Jehovah Witness. Um, but, you, you know, the circumstances are such that we went to church four days a week. We went door knocking one day a week. And then we had a day a week that we had to do our own personal Bible study. So that's five days a week of being indoctrinated with these beliefs. That is brainwashing. So that's, of course, one of the factors that makes it a cult. The other big factor is this isolation. So I wasn't allowed to associate with anybody outside of the religion. So I wasn't allowed to make friends in school. I could be friendly with them at school, but I couldn't do anything with them outside of school. So there was this real insular thing happening where you're you're completely isolated to the people that are there, which they do strategically to keep you trapped. Because if you don't have any support or resources outside, you're less likely to leave. Right. Right which is what keeps you trapped. So you may not be in a, you know, in a combine kind of cult, but you are still isolated and leaving is very emotionally intense. It's very emotionally costly and you have to be a strong person. And I, that was the other thing. I didn't think I was a real strong person, but when I look back, I think, oh my God, at 18, just before my 18th birthday, I left everything, like all of that, all of the friends I'd grown up with, everybody to choose what worked for me. Absolutely. That is a very, very bold move. Yeah. At 18. Uh, Can you tell us a little bit about your experience leaving the quote unquote mild cult? It almost sounds like a cold, like it's just a mild, mild cult. It's fine. (laughs) Uh, Your experience leaving that or 
some of the observations that you took from seeing other people trying to leave that because mm. this is something that is becoming a little bit more mainstream knowledge bit by bit mm-hmm. with podcasts with Netflix specials things Absolutely. like that there's a lot of what and I've never considered it, calling it a mild cult before but a lot of these semi arm's length religious organizations and groups and niches that are these mild cults mm-hmm. and how difficult and ostracizing it can feel. So would you mind sharing a little bit about that experience of what it's like to remove yourself from that type of situation? Absolutely. It It's like I said, it's very challenging because you know, and, and uh, so I'll back it up a little bit. In, in growing up, I, I witnessed other people who would leave and then come back and the, and the, quote unquote, church does these crazy things to people. So if you leave, you step out, and then you want to come back, you have to go through this um, ritual to redeem yourself. For six months, you come to the meetings, but you're not allowed to talk to anybody. And so you have to prove that you want to come back for six. Yeah, for six months, you're doing this. So this is what I see is that it's like, if you leave, like it's got to be permanent, because this in and out kind of thing is a hell on wheels kind of a scenario. It's a circus, really. It's almost like they they beat you down. They make you feel like right. nothing again right. to yes. come back. So I would watch, and there were a couple of people in particular I would watch, and they would leave, and because they had no resources outside, and you got to think this is back in the um, 80s, the mid-80s. Please don't do the math. <laughs> so. No, no, you're good. You're good. You're good. You're 25. 25 for life. Right. Thank you. <laughs> I love you. So, <laughs> every once in a while that lands, I'm like, oh my God. So, no, no, but, but back in the mid 80s, you know, there wasn't the internet. You couldn't find help centers. There wasn't people talking about leaving and, you know, support systems and things. So when you left, there was nothing. And most people in the world didn't think about these kinds of organizations as being cults at that time. So you were totally left on your own, but you're you're beaten down from the church and brainwashed. And then, you know, all of your family is there going, come back, come back, come back. And the outside world feels really cold because you haven't made any inroads. Mm-hmm. And that's that, you know, it's almost like being in limbo. Now, for me, I had a little bit of a, a an asset in that my mother had already left previously when I was five. So she was out. That was a whole nother crazy. Ooh. But- a quick pause. Yep. So how did you get into it in the first place? Was it through your mother? No, my father. Oh. Yes. Thanks, so, Dad. Thanks, Dad. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He got involved when he was 16. And um, I think for my father provided definitely an addiction, possibly some other interesting psychological things going on there that, you know, he used that as a crutch. It was definitely um, a central piece of how he governed his whole life. Oh. So there was no way he was ever going to leave that. Um, so my mom, I'll give you a little backstory. This is interesting. So my mom in 1964 got pregnant with my brother. And in 64, you do not want to be a six- single mother. That is a terrible thing to do. Mm-hmm. So she moved in with her sister, who at that time was exploring the Jehovah Witness religion. And that's how my mom met my dad. My dad fell madly, madly in love with her, was enamored, and you know offered to marry her. And while she didn't totally love him, she was okay with him. But it was better than being a single mom. 
Uh, so she made that choice and they were a volatile couple oh my goodness really oil and vinegar did not mix Um, so eventually she did leave and go out on her own and you know there was lots of things there so when I actually left I moved in with her in with all of the craziness that was going on there so I had a tiny bit of support to go to I was lucky I think without that I'm not sure how well I would have fared because you know, I didn't exactly have a lot of um, psychological tools and know-how up until that point. So I'm uh, grateful. Yeah, totally understandable. Once you're brainwashed and if that's all you know, that quote unquote normal life would feel a little bit jarring. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes. To say the least. <laughs> to say the least. Yeah. Especially when you've grown up being told that the outside world so everything outside of the religion is the devil it's the evil it's the stuff that's going to get you and so but the at the, at the same time it's like okay i don't like this devil but i'm not sure about that devil <laughs> you know mm. but you've got to go with what what you know in your heart and that's what i did that that's uh, i i would be giving you a standing ovation for that because i i we think we have problems growing up <laughs> oh like i got grounded this sucks <laughs> that that is epic congratulations on Thank getting you. out and Thank you. and everything that continued on and uh, if you wouldn't mind continuing that thread a little bit cuz you mentioned that after that situation you moved in with your mother and that was a bit of a crazy scenario yes. in its own right sort of next next hurdle for you so next hurdle there um so my mom my mom has a drinking problem and um you know it's always tough it's like do i share all my mom's stuff but it's like i watched her go through some interesting things with men mm-hmm. um she didn't always make the best choices um it was it was yeah there was there was lots of interesting things with men coming and going and um, and lots of drugs and alcohol in the house. And, you know, she just, she did the best she could, but I think she could have used some better tools yeah. to be, to be working through that. So as a result of those, um, experiences, I then started to on the path of getting some help for sexual trauma because that was, that was a piece that needed to, to be healed. So I had some of that growing up and then more when I moved in with my mom and I needed to go and explore getting some healing. So I spent actually about 15 years really like looking for groups and social worker and psychology and, and taking all those things, but none of them really, it was like, okay, I feel kind of better. And I'd go to groups and it's like, all right, when do we get to stop being a victim? Because, Mm. you know, but these were all these people that just wanted to retell their story and retell their story. And I'm like, but I want something more. Like I want to go past this, but there didn't seem to be anything in the way of tools to go beyond it, mm-hmm. at, at least at that time, you know, and, and the, so I just put kind of put it aside, went on with my life, got married, got, you know, got the career going and house and, you know, all the trappings. I always said, my joke is that, you know, I got a house and a, and a man and a business and, and a cat. <laughs> I had it all. <laughs> White picket fence? <laughs> <laughs> almost, almost. It was a townhouse. So, you know, it was like a semi, yeah. semi picket fence. Yep, yep. <laughs> check 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 yeah Yeah. (laughs) and you know going through the interesting relationship there because of course it turns out he was uh, a mild narcissist he he was yeah 
you know, he chronic liar, couldn't, couldn't get that stuff together. He was nice when it was just him and I, as long as I didn't trigger him. Right. Um, but around other people, he had this just, he could not be himself. He couldn't relax and just be a normal human being. So eventually I left him. And during the time that I was with him, I had started to do reading about um, the kink side of things. So the BDSM, because I'd had a client that came in and she, you know, disclosed that this was something she was involved in. So each time she came to see me, I'd be asking her these questions. I'm like, well, what is that? Why does it, why do you like that? And this is while you were an RMT. Yes. Correct? Okay. Yes. Great. Um, it, and for people who are listening who aren't really familiar with kink and BDSM, would you mind giving just a really quick high-level overview of what mm -hmm. you learned? Um, so very quick overview, kink is a broad, broad term, um, which relates to anything that is outside of the normal missionary position sexual so, so anything fun, anything fun. Exactly. <laughs> if you like playing with scarves, that's actually kink. If you like to bring handcuffs into the room, that's kink. If you want to play with feathers, that's actually considered a kink. So the majority of people enjoy some sort of kink. Some people take it a little further than others and they really, that, they, that needs to be a component, in which case it moves more into what we would call a fetish. Mm -hmm. If it needs to be there in order for you to have sexual pleasure, that's a fetish. A kink is just something that you enjoy. So I started to explore and typically when we, when people think of kink, they think of, you know, bondage, um, sadomasochism, you know, dominant submission, those kinds of things. And that's more the realm that I kind of was exploring and finding out about. Right. Yeah. Oh, that's so interesting. Man, I feel like I can talk about your backstory for, for the entire podcast. Yeah. Um, so I just want to yeah. mention one piece on Go this is it. that um, where I'm leading up to. Yeah, please. <laughs> so in exploring the submissive side of the kink, that is where I found the release from the sexual trauma. Because, mm -hmm. and it seems it seems backwards to most people because on the outside, kink looks like it's this horrible, abusive kind of situation, but it's actually intentional, the setup and, and whatnot, it's role playing. And so what we did is I, you know, found some really great people and we crafted out scenes that were, allowed me to reenact that abuse, but have a different outcome. And because of the intensity of emotion and the setup of the scene, it allows the body to untangle in a way that I had never thought possible. So that was what inspired me to become a dominatrix. Damn. <laughs> <laughs> you are so cool. This is really interesting for me. And, and help me understand, is this a normal method for other survivors to help no. <laughs> deal really because it you, would be great but i think like uh, it needs to be something that you're drawn to naturally like you can't dive into that if that's not something that you're like oh i want to explore it um because the entire scene is dependent on the fact that it's something that excites you right mm -hmm. there needs to be that element of like oh, this is exciting this is like juicy because without that excitement then the pain is just pain right but with that excitement with that eroticism to it you can transform the pain into pleasure which allows you to transform the pain of your life into something where you see the gifts and feel the gifts wow it's very it's a very logical concept and 
I'd be curious to understand if anyone else has gone through this means to transition past or evolve past various traumas. Because I love what you're saying. You're taking ownership of the script. You're just writing a different ending. Mm -hmm. How long did it take for you to release that negativity associated with your trauma through this method? Two sessions. Really? Yeah. It's, let's what I say, like the charge and the intensity of what you're feeling is, you know, like an incredible hypnosis session times a hundred because of you're engaging all of the senses, all the ways to learn and all the ways to experience. And so you can actually shift a lot in that short period of time. Mm-hmm. Um, plus at the end of a scene, people are put into a deep state of trance. And in that setting, in that that deep trance, you can imprint a whole new way of being. So if you're working with somebody who is really gifted, like I, that was my opportunity. I got to work with some incredibly healing people who also were kinky. So, so I was able to heal that in a very short period of time. That's incredible. What mm-hmm. a, what a cool story to be able to share. And aside from you mentioned you did some more traditional talk therapy and the role play. Mm-hmm. Was there anything else that you engaged with or even to this day engage with that helps you with trauma? Absolutely. So I went through, you know, learning to become a dominatrix because I wanted to take other people on that same healing journey. Oh. And eventually I started to lose my my taste for the kink um, because I started to move into energy work and some higher. I mean, I had been involved in energy work for a long time, but I started to evolve into some new aspects of it and found that I could access the same healing through some specific energy techniques. And I also recognized that not everyone wants to go to the dungeon. Not everyone wants to experience it that way. So I wanted to make this. <laughs> you mean it's not just like Ikea? <laughs> I know. I, I don't understand. Sometimes I'm like, what? What do you mean you don't want to go there? It's so oh, cozy. It's a great place. <laughs> but, you know, for some people, it's kind of scary. So, Fair. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, bringing a tool that's more accessible for people, that's less scary, is is definitely an asset. Do you still feel any flashbacks or feel None. like you regress? Wow. None. That That's the power. So up until the point that I got involved with kink, I was still experiencing flashbacks. I was still getting hugely triggered. And then those couple of sessions cleared that out. I would still, I would say I would still kind of get triggered by some people, mm-hmm. but more along the lines of kind of feeling... Um, lightly victimized, but it's not related to the sexual trauma. It's more like, when is it my turn? When do I get a break? Why isn't this easy? Mm-hmm. You know, it just kind of moves into other ways that that victim stuff shows up, which is not the same as that core wound where you are feeling unsafe in the world. Mm-hmm. So there's a there's a big difference, but there is, I think there's this continuum where You know, at the beginning, there's like so much trauma that needs to get out of the body and everything you do feels unsafe in the world. Like life sucks. That's Uh where that is. Life sucks. Nothing is good. Nothing's ever going to be good. And then as you move along the continuum and you start to heal, you get to this point where it's just certain things suck or certain situations or maybe it just feels like, oh my God, I'm always working so hard. Why does it have to be so hard? Right? Right. Like it's, it's those kinds of things. And eventually that moves out as well. 
And you start to be able to get to the place where, you know what? Sometimes shit is just shit. Exactly. <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah, we have a, a funny knack as humans to creating stories around things that happen and then things that happen to us. Mm. Yes. A big one. <laughs> and then the whole love attraction stuff, which really puts people feeling like a victim. Oh my God, I had a negative thought. No, oh my God, now I'm going to ruin my whole day. Right. Like, no, that's not how it works. I know. I, I, I feel that every once in a while. I tend to think I'm, I'm pretty self-aware and self-conscious uh, of that, but uh, I have my days. And I'm sure there's a lot of people who are in tremendous denial about that. <laughs> uh so lots to dig into, I'm sure, but I'm going to switch to question two so we can get through these questions <laughs> because you are one hell of an interesting person. And question two is, what's your proudest accomplishment? Wow. You know, you know, I read these questions and I was like, I'm not sure which one I want to pick, but I think, I think it's more of an overall as opposed to an individual thing. I think my thing that I'm most proud about is the fact that I will keep coming back. I keep digging in. I want to keep growing. I want to delve more into the consciousness and that. And I just have this huge commitment to, I don't care how ugly it is, how painful it is, I'm going to get in there. And that is probably my biggest pride. That is some fearless stuff. I mean, I just mentioned a lot of us, we seek comfort in not knowing, not looking in the mirror mm -hmm. and not dealing with it. What's something that you are currently digging into or uh, something you've just discovered about yourself even after doing all this work? Mm -hmm. I think, you know, not too long ago, it's been over the last uh, year, year and a half ago, kind of really started to realize where I was um, having this expectation that that people should work with me just because I'm awesome. <laughs> and uh, I don't blame you. Yeah, you know, and, and while there's probably some truth and I know I get good results with people, there's it was like, oh, you know, this is really rather arrogant. And to to really look that square in the face of where I was just being rather arrogant in having that come out. And it just would kind of like seep out. You know, I listened to some of my older interviews and I'm thinking, I'm like, oh, there's just that tiny little tone of, <laughs> yeah, being really good. So I've been, you know, working at dropping into feeling really grateful for every opportunity that I got, really grateful for the little things. Like I have a friend who's really been mirroring for me. She's like grateful for the tiniest little things that happen. I'm like, that's so amazing. You know, she'll find a nickel on the ground and she picks it up as if she's just won the lottery. I'm like, Aww. wow, which is what made me realize. I was like, you know what? I don't have, or I didn't at that time, I didn't have that level of gratitude. And I'm still working on, I'm like expanding this, but to realize <clears throat> that there's some humility that needed to come in. Was that purely a self-reflection or was that feedback that you gained from other people or solicited from other people? I'd love to say that was all me because <laughs> <laughs> that would work for me, but no. Um, I have somebody that I've been, her and I have been exchanging coaching for almost four years now and we just keep taking it deeper. And she's like, she, you know, so one day she just was like, all right, this has got to go. Your ego is so big. It needs to get out. 
<laughs> like it needs to go. So she she really did pull me around to like, you've got to soften, you've got to drop into this and then also rip the ego away. I was like, okay, that's painful, but thank you. Yeah. That's not an easy thing to hear. No. Wow. So a lot of us deal with all of these things that are blind spots. What's the best way for us to start exposing that? Is it purely to see a professional? Is it going to people in their lives whom they think would be honest and truthful? What would you think? Uh, you know, here is where I'm gonna I'm gonna recommend going to somebody as a professional because the reality is there are very few people who are willing to be that honest. Mm. Um, most people like being my friend, but they know that they're also gonna get the bitter truth. I don't sugarcoat things. And if you don't want the truth, you shouldn't be my friend. So, you know, that's that's a bit of a, a hard reality. Um, but I think PSA. most people are afraid to say, to really say like, hey, Julie, like, come on. Like, it's this is glaringly obvious to everyone else. And I think we need to shift it. But to do it out of love, because we're worried about what is the other person going to think? How are they going to receive it? Are they going to be mad at me? You know, and it's different when you are paying somebody and they say to you, this is what needs to change. You have paid them for their professional advice. And so you don't tend to, you know, flip them the bird and say, well, you're just being a, <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. That makes sense. You're, you're, you don't have a personal relationship with them. So you don't get yeah. all tangled up with that. What's interesting is, at work, we've recently started experimenting with an exercise called fast feedback mm. corporately. So imagine this, you have a bunch of team members on your team that you know what a superficial level amount of information about, but we have been experimenting with trying to exercise this level of what's called radical candor. So very open truth. And the exercise looked a little bit like uh, one by one. So this was done in a closed space. One by one, each of us would stand up and we'd write two things that we think are strengths and two things that we think are areas of opportunity or weaknesses. And we'd go around the room. Every single person would have an opportunity to share a strength and a weakness. And it can be um, a perception. It could be a moment in time. But the exercise is to not feel like you have to defend yourself from what they're saying, but to acknowledge that their viewpoint has some degree of validity, even if they saw it expressed on a given day or in a specific situation, just for the sake of awareness. So very difficult exercise, especially wow. with peers, because yes. you're like, you don't know me. <laughs> Do you know me? I don't know. <laughs> um, but I, I think it still has some degree of validity because it helps Absolutely. you or forces you to be incredibly uncomfortable with yourself. Mm -hmm. And I firmly believe it's only when you are in a state of discomfort that you have the biggest opportunity to grow. Absolutely. I wholeheartedly agree with you. <laughs> <laughs> all right, we'll be friends. Great. <laughs> cool. Well, thank you for sharing all of that. That's really helpful and very interesting. And hopefully this is going to start inspiring some of you listening to be a bit more open about exposing these things that we're very good at trying to hide or be in denial about mm -hmm. to grow. 
So question three is, how do you balance work and life? So I don't look at it as a balance per se, but it's like, what proportions work best for me? And my proportion of time in business is higher than what would work for a lot of people. I love what I do. So the majority of time, I don't feel like I'm working. And, you know, it's only when I have to do admin, bookkeeping, or some marketing that I just, right? But the majority of time, I love it. And so what I just try to do is say, you know, find that that point where I still feel connected to me. And I still feel inspired and creative. And if that gets out of alignment, then I look at you know, what do I need more of? Do I need more time for doing a bit of, you know, something artistic or crafty to balance things out? Or do I need to go for a walk or, you know, and flowing with it because it's day-to-day changes. Mm -hmm. You know, one day I can sit down and I can spend 16 hours just diving right into work and getting, you know, right into it. And that feels good. And then the next day it's like, okay, I need to go shopping. Just do something. Who doesn't? Right. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I think it's a matter of, for me, watching um, how does it feel? How does it resonate? Do I still feel connected? And that's my gauge. That's a cool way of thinking about it. It seems like it, you hold yourself accountable, but also are kind to yourself. Mm-hmm. So you're not just trying to bash a square peg in a round hole. Yeah. And I'm not trying to fit somebody else's standard of what work-life balance looks like. Ooh. Mm -hmm. That's a good one. I I know you've mentioned that if you are not doing work, quote-unquote work, that you are fulfilled by or happy doing, that you should change that and more or less move on from that situation. Um, what would you recommend to someone who today is feeling just dissatisfied and happy with their situation at work? I think that that kind of starts, um, it starts with, first of all, leaning in and saying, okay, how can I make this current situation the best possible situation as is? What can I learn from where I am? How can I lean into it? And this is where I love to pull from the dungeon. So in, you know, as being a submissive, the way to transform the pain is to breathe and relax into it. If you tighten up, then every, you know, every blow feels 10 times worse, 100 times worse. But if you relax and you breathe into it and you allow it to just kind of like you flow with it, then all of a sudden that that pain starts to transform and the body's natural reactions, reaction of the endorphins and the endocannabinoids kicks in and you start to feel the high. And I think that's the same thing that can happen in any of our day-to-day situations. So if you don't like where you are, what if you learned how to transform that pain into something pleasurable until you figure out what it is that you would rather do? That's very helpful advice. Wow. And since we typically carry so much stress in our physical body, I mean, again, myself included, I feel like I need 10 RMTs any given day. Are there any tips or tricks that we can do to help release some of the physical manifestation of the stress if we haven't 
gotten to that point where we can ease into it? Um, I think the the typical, you know, breath work, doing the deep breathing so that you're getting lots of oxygen in, make sure you're getting enough water, mm. you know, the basics, right? Are you getting enough water? Are you getting enough nutrients? Are, you know, do you need a supplement? Um, are you eating healthy? Because quite often when people are not happy in their lives, in one aspect, whether it's work or you're in a bad relationship, <clears throat> then that trans ends up translating into kind of like self-abuse with the food. So, oh, I'm just going to, you know, have, I'll give myself a treat. I'll have this sugary thing or heavily caffeine loaded or an extra, you know, an extra glass of wine or something mm-hmm. as a way to compensate. But what you're actually doing is kind of being mean to your body if that's not what your body needs. So mm-hmm. those, you know, properly nourishing your body and moving. So maybe it's yoga, maybe it's high impact aerobics, maybe it's swimming. Find the movement that your body enjoys, not what you think you should be doing, right. but you do need to move. The body likes to move. We're designed that way. Yeah, we certainly are. I saw our mutual friend Cindy posting some throw to some fabulous brownies that you made that were kind of <laughs> healthy. Yes. What kinds of things do you eliminate or, or do to to be conscious of being kind to your own body? Yeah. So over the years, I've really noticed that sugar is uh, is something for me needs to be completely out of my diet. So I, I used to be a sugar addict. Um just yeah it would be it would disgust most people to know how much sugar i ate in a day really? it was crazy really yeah like, like okay so costco size m&m things yeah i would go through that in a week wow right wow sometimes three days it just it was like i could consume lots and lots of sugar but sugar for me is a very much of an inflammatory piece and so all of my joints flare up all aches and pains come in and if i eliminate sugar the aches and pains go away so for me, sugar needs to go. I, it can't even be like minimally because if I have some, I'm an addict. I need yeah. more. So I, I have noticed I've made the choice and I've made peace with it. This is for me that for me, I need it out completely. Um, some people can do a little bit, but this is where I am, right? It's right. honoring that. I also noticed that um, wheat has to be an absolute no as well. Because it just, it again, it just doesn't react well. I'll have bread and I'll feel hungover the next day or pasta, which I love. I love these things, right? Like, ah. yes, yes. But I've come to the place where I want to feel good in my body. And choosing to give up the things that don't make my body feel good is the self-love. Yeah, that's a great way of, of viewing it, that you are loving yourself by making these conscious decisions to not have these things in your life. Mm-hmm. You, you mentioned and you phrased it, I'm, I'm an addict, I'm, I'm a sugar addict. Mm-hmm. Do you feel that that addictive behavior was gained in yourself by say the people in your life, like your mother and things like that? Do you, do you believe that that was role modeled and you took it from there or something different? I think there's a nature and nurture in here. Mm-hmm. Um, because they have shown that, that there's a genetic component to addiction. Mm-hmm. So there is a gene that leaves you predisposed to addiction. And which means that, you know, on a, in a good healthy situation that probably won't flare up or you'll find yourself kind of tipping that way, but then you'll be able to pull it back. Mm-hmm. If you combine that with being around people who, you know, distribute or, um, 
model addictive behavior, mm-hmm. then you have two strikes against you and it's real easy to slide into that. So mm-hmm. for me, my drug of choice was sugar. Mm-hmm. I admit that it's it's all good. Like I'm like, I've so gone to the other side of healing from right. it. Um, I've made peace with it. But I think having the uh, the choice to give it up out of love for yourself as opposed to punishment is so vital. Boom. Mm-hmm. You said it. Uh, all right. Well, let's move on to question four. And I know you've already been so transparent with us, but we're going to keep that going with, can you tell us about a difficult moment in your life? Sounds like there's been a lot that you've risen above. Mm-hmm. You know, I think I would share the difficult moment was for me admitting that the relationship I was in was never going to work. And it took me a long time. It, it, you know, I stayed in that first relationship for 11 years. And I say to people, you know, at first it was like a bit tongue in cheek. I was like, oh, I stayed nine years too long. Um, (laughs) (laughs) You know. (laughs) But. Been there. It wasn't nine, but. (laughs) Right. But it's the the difficulty was admitting that it was never going to work and admitting that I needed to stop trying to fix this person. And I couldn't. So that was, it was like failure. Like I felt like a failure because as an empath, as a healer, I wanted to fix everybody, mm-hmm. it, which was, you know, get another lesson. You can't fix anybody, <laughs> right? There's like <laughs> the light bulb. Can't True. change the light bulb. Light bulb has to want to change. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I've never heard that before. <laughs> oh, how many psychiatrists does it take to change a light bulb? You didn't, no, I've never heard that. That's One, but the light bulb has to change. That's hilarious. <laughs> has to want to change. Yeah. <laughs> so, <ba-dum-tsh>. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, it was kind of painful to admit that that I was, I felt at that time I felt I was broken because I'd failed. Oh. But it, it wasn't, right? I mean, hindsight now, of course, that's, that's oh. not. But. You're like, that was one of the, the best decisions that I made for myself. It was. It was hell on wheels, but it was, yeah. Yeah, I could imagine. <laughs> was it a specific incident that led to that realization? Or was it a practice? It was accumulation of, mm-hmm. of so many things of, um, I think where where it led up. So I had been trying and trying and trying every angle, every which way to try to make this relationship work. And I'd been for therapy and, you know, talked to all kinds of people. And it wasn't until my hairdresser said to me, so my hairdresser all the way through this relationship, she'd seen the all of it. And she had been Switzerland, right? <sighs> she had been Switzerland all the way through, all the way through, all the way through. Finally, one day she she sits she sits down at the you know, the mirror in front of me and she faces me and she says, if you don't get out of this relationship, you're going to die. Wow. Right. I'm like, when Switzerland takes a stand, you stand up and take notice. And it was just like, cause she, she had been through a similar relationship and left and, you know, was out the other side. So she was like, you've got to get out. Cause I was just like going downhill fast. Right. Yeah. Yeah, and, and we're very good about thinking that it's because of us and feeling mm-hmm. like we're we're less valuable because we can't make them better. And then that person, especially if they're narcissistic, they make it feel like it's all your fault mm-hmm. and it's just a, a big old downward spiral. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Wow. And 
how did you decide to leave that relationship? Meaning, was it, uh, hey, I'm going to have a conversation, have a swift exit plan? Like, did you have this planned out? Sort of. So after she delivered that, I was, I realized, okay, like all of my trying is not going to work. I have to get out. And, um, and I sat down with him and I just said, you know, like, this is it. I know I've said this a million times before, like literally we would every six months, I would say I'm leaving. He would talk me around in circles and then I'd like, okay, give it another try. And then in six months I was like completely frustrated again. And we would do this dance exactly like every six months. And so I'm like, no, this is, this is it. Like, I can't do this anymore. I need out. I'm leaving. That's it. And, um, and then he, he got it. He heard me. He, he, there was a difference in how I delivered. There was a difference in who I was and he got that. And then he turned nasty. Hmm. And so he started exhibiting abusive behaviors, like escalated abusive behaviors, cornering me in the room. And it was just looking like it was going to go violent. And I was like, okay, that's it. I'm out of here. So, you know, I just packed up and I, I went to a, a girlfriend's place, showed her her place. I'm like, hey, <laughs> how's it going? <laughs> I know you got an extra room. I'm moving in. Yeah. <laughs> so, which she welcomed me in with open arms. I mean, of it course. was so funny because it was summer and September starts rolling around. She said, well, you know, even if we get to turtleneck season and you're still here, it's okay. Oh, what a great friend. Awesome friend. Really. Yeah, she was a lifesaver. Good on you. Mm -hmm. Yeah, sometimes the best thing to do is just get the hell out of that situation. Yeah. It was the the only way for me at that point um, because he wasn't going to play nice. Mm -hmm. You know, if I had been dealing with an average person who could play nice, then we could have just, you know, stayed, separated everything and neither of us being, you know, in financial turmoil. But Mm -hmm. it is what it is. Got it. Were you a practicing dom while you were in that relationship? No, I started that after. Got it. I was going to say, I'm like, I feel like he wouldn't have no. liked that too much. <laughs> no. So my my current husband, he's, you know, I tell him some of the stories when we were dating. He's like, how is it that he gets away with all of that? I don't even get away with a fraction of that. I said, because I went through that relationship, you yeah. don't get away with any of it. Yeah. Uh, you know? Yeah. You're like, I'm faster, stronger, better. <laughs> no, just you know, just 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 love me, just love me. Oh, okay. <laughs> uh, that's funny. Cool. All right. Question five: Who or what inspires you the most? Oh, so many people. I would say you know anybody who is really showing up authentically inspires me. You know, when I see people who are willing to be real and raw and just you know, this is who I am. This is where I'm at. And I am doing the best I can. God damn it. Those people, all of them. Is there an example of someone recently who's shown up in your life like that? Oh, who do I pick? Yeah, I don't Hmm. I think recently, you know, I've had a few people on my on my podcast where I've actually done um, sessions. So Lee Burton, I'll, I'll pull on her. It was great. She she just she showed up and she was willing to just really be completely open and honest about what was going on in her business. And it's the things that most of the time we don't want to share because we want to be still seen as the expert. Mm-hmm. And and that kind of willingness to be vulnerable is so inspiring. Yeah, we're obsessed with, 
broad strokes we're but we're obsessed with uh, just looking good mm. in the face of others, whether it's in business or life, to yeah. our family, to our partners. And what's it all worth? Yeah. At the end of the day, we want to connect as humans. And I don't see much to be gained by trying to just be a glossy copy of yourself. Yeah. So. It's, not, it's not about having it perfect. It's about showing up, messy mm-hmm. and all. Mm-hmm. Exactly, with good intent, mm-hmm. for sure. Wow. All right, question six. What is the most adventurous thing you have ever done? Um, you know, I, probably the kink. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's probably going to you know, be yeah. in there for sure. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, and so do you have any advice for, for newbies? So people who might be interested in getting involved in that world or a community? Yeah, I would start with some really good books. So my top favorites were a book called Screw the Roses, Send Me the Thorns. And (laughs) (laughs) yeah, fabulous book. Um, BDSM 101 by Jay Wiseman is also an excellent, excellent book. Um, And then, you know, talk to some people who have been in it for a while get some mentorship if you can find it. You know, if you can find some groups that are social groups where you can talk to people and find out what is behind the scenes. And so Mm -hmm. the other thing is that if you're going to get involved, I would say go to the play parties and then make sure that you find somebody who can be kind of your um, bodyguard. Keep Mm -hmm. an eye on you Mm -hmm. so that you don't end up in some stupid situation because it's real easy. You know, you go in, you're you're all starry-eyed. You're like, oh, yeah. Right. Yeah. And so everyone just, <laughs> is gorgeous and mostly naked. And <laughs> I don't know about gorgeous, but no, <laughs> mostly naked. Mostly naked. Yes. <laughs> Lots of leather. <laughs> Lots of leather. I actually, one of the things with the kink community is that it it's very welcoming to all shapes and sizes. Mm. So it's not about being beautiful. Um, the swinger community tends to be more about looks and, and beauty, but the kink community is um, you could be the most beautiful person and not be the most attractive play partner because. If you're not a good play partner, like if mm-hmm. people watch you and you're not good, they don't want to play with you. Right. It's very interesting. That is interesting. And so uh, explain just high level what a, a play party is. So a play, so we, we call them scenes or play because um, kink is not necessarily connected to sex. Mm. For a lot of people, it is kinky foreplay. But for the majority of people, kink is something that is in and of itself. And so a scene would not culminate in sex it okay. is a it's a more of a transformative process and it's about that high level surrender and the experience and the energy play and the the connection with the other person mm. so a play party is places where people bring in equipment and you know there's stations and and things is, things are all done out in the open which is a great place to you know experiment with somebody new because there's eyes keeping an eye on you right and making sure that this the scenes are carried out safe sane and consensual sort of like sexy crossfit yeah (laughs) that's a great way to say it sexy crossfit i'm gonna use that (laughs) (laughs) that's hilarious um and, and are you able to share what your dom name was if it was different i didn't have a you didn't have a name no just mr stana Oh, yeah, Mr. Stina. I still like. I, that. I I don't. I never. I never liked the multiple names. It was. It always drove me crazy. It was like, yeah. not only can I not remember one name for people, 
But now you have two names that I have to remember <laughs> and I have to remember when to use what name. It's right. just, yeah. I ah. mean, you know, sometimes when they're like, you know, slot boy or something, you know, something that is like very clearly Engineer, I would not use yeah. that in public. Yeah. <laughs> but <laughs> I... Depends, I mean. <laughs> right, it depends. But often I would remember that name out in public and not the other name. And then I'd be like, uh, um, mm. <laughs> yeah you're like what, what do i call you yeah really <laughs> and did you have a particular tool or toy of choice uh i think the flogger was probably one of my favorites and and then i had these wonderful i still have actually i haven't actually given away my best toys but um they're small whips and they're very lightweight and the handles are flexible and for me, I don't have, you know, years of doing massage therapy and my wrists are not the strongest. So mm. I could never be work with anything really heavy because you're, you're doing, it's actually a lot of work on the small joints. Mm. And I liked those little tiny flexible instruments. They were great. She's practicing yeah, the, I know. the whip I'm moves like, for us, <laughs> by the way, guys. Yeah. <laughs> it's just automatic. I talk yeah, about it. I'm like, yeah. I can feel it, right? Yeah. 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 yeah it's in your body. <laughs> <laughs> And, and do you have any fun or interesting stories from client interactions, a couple that you're open to share? Um, you know, I think some of the, the fun stuff was just, it's, it's a bit interesting to go to, say, like, kinky camping. Those were the fun stories. Uh, yeah. Kinky so you, camping. Kinky camping. Yes. This is the best, right? Okay. So you've got an entire campground that is, you know, been, you know, taken over by kinky people. And wow. you can imagine like each of the campgrounds, somebody will have like their equipment set up. And so you you just be walking down the thing and then you'll hear somebody getting spanked or, you know, you, you hear somebody <laughs> <laughs> moaning or, you know, like, like, is that a bear? No, 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 no. Not, it's just, not the uh, kind of yeah. bear you think. Or you come along and there's like, there's somebody strung upside down and you know, like, it's just, it's very, it's it's like crazy making it at the same time. It's lovely because it's like everybody is in this very supportive environment where it's like, yeah, this is great. I love what you're doing. What are you doing there? Oh, how are you? How are you doing that suspension? Oh, that's so cool. Can I watch? You know? Yeah. Like, so, yeah, those are, those are kind of funny. <laughs> I have oh. lots of funny stories from camping. That's so, that's really interesting. Um, and you mentioned that uh, uh, being a dom or some of these scenes are not usually involving actual penetrative sex. Mm-hmm. How often would it involve penetrative sex? Like what ratio or percentage of not to yes would it typically be? Mm. So, you know, people who are playing privately, I would say that ratio is probably about 75% mm-hmm. um, in the professional world. So if you're charging for services, it is probably around 10%. Really? Yeah. And that's, there's just a few people that will engage with that, but most of the time it is completely off limits. How do you feel about that stereotype of, when a lot of people think of people who say, see a a dominatrix, um, it's usually someone who's like very powerful and outspoken in their public life. And then they, like to be totally submissive with, say, a practitioner in their private life. Mm-hmm. Is that stereotype truthful or mm-hmm. okay? That is, yeah. There's, oh. it's a lot of. Typically, um, there's more men that go to see 
um, a professional mm-hmm. than women. And it is, it is that stereotype of the very high powered um, influential male who is responsible for making loads of decisions, who's responsible for a team and they've usually, you know, worked their way up and what they're looking for is that counterbalance. So it's, it's just like some people go for massage and some people go for a dom session. Same result. Very cool. Mm-hmm. I've always wondered that. <laughs> <laughs> and in something that uh, I know is a common theme through the whole dominatrix world is um, getting, I would say more submissive world, is uh, the idea of letting go. Mm-hmm. What are our biggest enemies of letting go? <laughs> and maybe some of the most common reasons we hold ourselves back from that. Yeah. Letting go requires you to lose something. So the majority of people are unwilling to lose. And it is all of the mental chatter of, if I lose this, then that means. Mm -hmm. And there's all the stories that we create. It means I'm a bad person. It means I'm a failure. It means blah, blah, blah. Like we have all of that running in our head. And until we're ready to lose, like not ready to lose, willing to lose. So being willing to lose doesn't mean you try to lose. It means that you are now able to detach from the outcome, which of course is the very thing that allows that whatever it is that you desire to come in Mm -hmm. as soon as you let go. Um, So, you know, that's, that's the piece. If, if we could actually get out of our head of what we think we're going to lose and that's the mental emotional piece that, that needs to change. We actually have to let go of the programming of the fear of losing. Mm. Wow, that's deep. <laughs> <laughs> do, do you ever catch yourself from time to time? You just happen to be in a scenario, something spontaneous happens. Do you ever catch yourself falling into that trap? Oh, sure. I mean, I'm human. Yeah. You know, and and each time it allows me to like, if I'm, if I'm being self-reflective, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> right, which I'll admit, you know, I'm not always, sometimes I am a, you know, a bit of an arse, but right, know, right. if I'm being self-reflective, then <laughs> I can step back and say, okay, what have I, what am I not willing to lose here? And then I take myself through the process, like there's just lots of tools that I have that, and I'll take myself through those tools and drop into being willing to lose whatever it is that I just noticed that I'm not willing to lose. And that provides me more freedom because I'm no longer attached and needing to fight to hang on to it. Mm -hmm. I can let it go. And most of the time it just stays there, but I don't need to be hanging on tight anymore. Right. And so all that strain and stress that you're, Spinning for no reason. Yep. You free up energy. Oh, so cool. You know. I like that. Thanks. <laughs> thanks. <laughs> thanks. See, I'm brilliant. Thanks, no, thanks. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Moving on to question seven. What do you attribute your success to? I think again, it's that it's that piece of where I'm so willing to do my inner work. Mm. I really think that's part of it. Is that, you know, I'm willing to look at honestly, what's working, what's not working, have a real conversation, not, you know, delude myself. Um, And more and more so, you know, as the years go on, as more as I do more work, then I'm like, okay, let's get real. (laughs) You got a whole lot of ego here. How about we let that go? (laughs) Right. So I would say that for sure. So for the people who have never done that work before consciously, Mm. what would be the easiest way to start that 
Because mm. I think seeing a professional would be a really great logical step. But mm -hmm. let's be real, a lot of people aren't even there just yet. So yeah, it would be a, a, a lower bar. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think, you know, you can maybe start with some of the peripheral things that irk you a little bit, but are not catastrophic. So, you know, the person at work that they, you know, maybe they sit there, they tap all the time, right? They got this little tapping habit, mm -hmm. right? That's like, yeah, annoying. If you, if you drop in, you, you allow yourself to breathe and expand out and you say, okay, well, what if I was to allow myself to embrace that? And then, you know, just kind of like keep opening up, keep opening up and and saying, you know, just having that awareness of like, what would it feel like if that was comfortable? What would it feel like if that was something I enjoyed? And we start nudging this process along. That's the way, like when you're going to do it with yourself, you kind of have to like nudge the process along. If I'm working with somebody, I have tools that I can take them fast. Mm -hmm. But kind of, I kind of need to train people. <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> but for, for now, if we just start opening it up and saying, well, what if that didn't bother me? How would that feel? Ooh. It's, it's, I'm totally that person where someone's tapping or there's some noise, especially if I'm trying to concentrate. Mm -hmm. it, it drives me bananas. So it seems like it's a very conscious effort of trying on a different perspective of the thing that is annoying us yeah and i want to just because i can see where your brain is going this like you, yeah. you said conscious and it's like this yeah 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 it's not okay it's, it's actually a process of opening up oh. okay so you have to let your energy expand out mm. and imagine it's like you know kind of embracing them it's bringing them into your world as opposed to right now when they're irritating you, you're trying to cut them off. Mm -hmm. But you can't cut anybody off because we're all interconnected. We're all one. Mm -hmm. So there's no cutting them off. But if you actually allowed yourself to expand out, you say, well, what if this was in this in other ways? Like, what if that person was somebody who I adored? Mm -hmm. Would that bother me? Where's the balance between doing that and being taken advantage of or suffering through it hypothetically? Great question. So suffering through it is gritting your teeth. Right. Okay. Right? That's the, <laughs> I'm going to do this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is great. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to just paint this brick wall yellow. It's so great. <laughs> so <laughs> I really hope we just have that on loop. That'd be great. <laughs> <laughs> but but the expanding out right. and allowing yourself to to connect with the feeling of love sure. and compassion for the other person that that's not a resistance. It's mm -hmm. it's allowing this to change and shift naturally mm -hmm. by engaging the feelings of love and compassion and gratitude for them. Mm -hmm. It, it's not going to just, you know, snap change overnight. It's going to gradually get to the point where it's like, oh, wow, that doesn't bother me anymore. Mm -hmm. Isn't that cool? At what point would you recommend still addressing the behavior? Even if you've embraced it and you're very compassionate towards okay. the behavior. This is what I, I know, love. I know, that that is, that. I know. I'm totally resisting it. I'm totally yeah, resisting it. But I'm just, it's more of a hypothetical question because what if it is a behavior? <laughs> asking for a friend, right? Yeah, asking, <laughs> asking for a friend. Like what if it's a behavior that it, it would be great if it, it did change, but you get to a point where you're like, okay, it is what it is. And I've, I've lovingly embraced it. <laughs> so when, if you completely shifted. Uh-huh. 
Okay. And it's just a matter of you between you and the other person. Right. Then um, I can pretty much guarantee that they will change that behavior without yeah. you needing to say anything. And I give you an example. This is my favorite story. Yeah. 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 Now I'm All curious. <laughs> so <clears throat> my husband loves to do food police. Okay. And you got to say food police. What's that? <clears throat> food police is like, do you think you should be eating that? Do you, should you really eat the whole bag? That's a lot of food. Do you really want all of that? Okay, that's food police. And you got to imagine that does not go down well with anybody who's got food issues. No. no so no. <clears throat> we already do that for ourselves. Right. So it would drive me batty and I would just get so mad and I would address the behavior because I'm like, that is just inappropriate. Da, 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 da. Rip a strip off him. Tell him why all mm. the things, all the reasons why this was not okay and was not appropriate. And he would still do it. Hmm. And so I realized I was like, okay, I need to take a deep breath, use my tools and get to the point where it doesn't bother me if he does food police. And so it took me <clears throat> honestly four months of really cognitively like working through my layers of why this bothers me mm -hmm. and all the things of like all the things. <laughs> mm -hmm. And so finally I got to the point where it was like, okay, I think I'm good. I think I worked out that last one. I'm like, go ahead. And he stopped doing it. Just stopped doing it. And I'm like, oh, sure. Now that I'm okay, just stop that. <laughs> <laughs> Did you ask him at any nope. point as to why he stopped it? Nope. Whether it was conscious or subconscious because you don't want to bring it up? Care. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he, he will still do food police, but with other people. He won't do it with me. Oh. It no longer has a charge for me. And so he doesn't need to do that. And see, this is the interaction. This is the interesting piece between people, mm. right? And and what I see, and I see this with other people. So when you have something that's a bugaboo, it's as if you have those like the neon sign saying, poke this button. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. so other people subconsciously are seeing that button. They're not seeing it consciously. They're just subconsciously and going, oh, okay. And they're pushing the button because the sign says push the button. So they're like, all right, mm. I can do that. And when you take away the sign, which is removing the charge that you have on that piece, mm. they no longer see the sign, so they don't push the button. It's really crazy. Yeah, that's going to give me stuff to chew on after this interview. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and Very it's a cool. great way to like, it's back to personal responsibility, right. right? If you don't like what somebody else is doing, you still have the ability to change how you feel about it, how you interact with it, and what your interpretation is of it. Mm -hmm. And that changes how you dance, which changes how they dance. Mm. But you've got to change it for you, not as an ulterior motive to change them. Mm-hmm. Make that clear. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's a very, it's a cool perspective shift because I tend to think of myself as an over-communicator of a, hey, if there's something that's happening, I'd rather put it out there, mm -hmm. at least just so they're aware whether they change or not, it's up to them. But at least, a, hey, it would be so great if we could do this in this way or not do it like this mm -hmm. or this or that. But that's actually great to be more aware of being responsible of how we project this in a subconscious <laughs> way. Boom. All right. Yeah. Love it. Mini, mini, mini coaching, mini coaching. <laughs> cool. All right. Moving on to question eight. What item or items could you never live without? Wine. Definitely. Although I don't drink as much as I used to, but I just, I love wine and definitely can't live without chocolate. 
Yeah, we're we're kindred spirits. You'll yeah. you'll see my bar after this. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> what what are your favorite wines right now? Um, I'm really loving the Merlot. And um there's oh I'm gapping on the names. That's okay. Yeah. There's there's a uh, a wine called the Formula. That's oh. been yeah, you gotta try it. It's cool. yummy. Nice. Mm-hmm. Okay, the formula. Yeah, it's in the vintage section. Ooh. Love it. That sounds delicious. Mm -hmm. And then chocolate, dark milk. Definitely dark. Um, One of my favorites, because I'm off sugar, is the um, Giddy Yo-Yo. Oh, I've had those. Aren't they good? They're the bomb. They are the bomb. Oh. I know. Yeah, yeah. Every time I go to a health food store, I always grab a couple Mm -hmm. of them. Also, we'll show you my chocolate collection. (laughs) Hilarious. Anyway. (laughs) Cool. Sounds great. Everything you're sharing, I'm like, yep, yep. Can't live without it. Fantastic. (laughs) All right. Question nine. Is there anything you'd like to promote? I see one example of a thing on our table. Yes, very definitely. So I brought a copy of my book. This is the latest book. So it's the first of the series. The series is called The Inner Dominatrix Guide. And this one is Become a Badass in Business. I love that title. Thank you. So good. Yes. So lots of tools in there packed with, um, with tools and stories to help you shift into the mindset of running your business because it challenges you like nothing else. And so I wanted to pack this with resources for people. Very cool. Is there a little sneak peek or a a tip or something that you wouldn't mind sharing from it? Maybe just one, Mm. one or two. We gotta gotta find something quickly. Yeah, yeah. And I don't have my glasses here. So um, sneak peek tip, I would say you know, there's lots in there around judgment, getting yourself out of judging yourself and out of judging others. And that's mm-hmm. probably one of the main pieces for shifting how you show up in the world. So mm-hmm. definitely want to, you know, take a look at that. If you go to innerdominatrix.com, you can get a free chapter of the book. Ooh. So yeah, I actually wrote down a quote. I think it was from your website it says self judgment is the single biggest reason why women aren't bolder in their lives and business. Mm. Absolutely. And it's true. And I I wouldn't say it's just women. Mm -mm. I think it's everyone. And I think a lot of us, we're we're driven by these feelings of judgment, of shame, of fear. Not good enough. Yep. Not smart enough. Not not enough in some way, shape, or form. And, you know, this scarcity feeling, like there's not enough to go around. There's not Mm -hmm. enough for me. I'm not enough. All of that feeling of scarcity which is utter bullshit Mm. it's just the lies that are perpetuated and when you can take yourself out of that programming and i I like to call it programming because programming can be changed Mm. so when you can take yourself out of that then you don't get caught up in it and you change how you show up Hmm. do you see that mentality being primarily North American, or is this a global phenomena? It's pretty global. I would say it is um, quite strong in North America because we are inundated daily with images of why you're not good enough or where this product, this service, this something or whatever is going to enhance your life. And this is going to be the magic cure. Um, That constant inundation combined with um, the crazy ass shit that people are doing with reality TV and like mm. the Paris Hiltons and 
you know, bubble butt people that are, I forget, the Kardashians. Right? <laughs> bubble, bubble butt people. <laughs> <laughs> the name escaped me for just a moment. I can't believe it escaped. But, but you know, that, that kind of thing where it becomes about, you know, how many likes do you have and how much, how much visibility as opposed to who are you in the, in the heart? Who, mm-hmm. who are you as a person? Like, this has gotten crazy. Yeah, that that authenticity piece is sometimes lacking. Mm. Yeah, I've I've spoken to social media influencers Mm -hmm. um, on the Legit Lady podcast, and we've started to talk about that that challenge of authenticity um, versus content that is exciting for Mm -hmm. audiences. So, yeah, I, I totally hear you. And thinking about social media, um because I think this is something where you, you've had some thought leadership. Um, how do we, or how should we think about being involved in social media and staying informed through social media without taking our emotions for a ride? Especially <laughs> nowadays, it seems yeah. like it keeps getting more negative and more ridiculous. And this is, it's actually, that's, I think I have a blog post even for that, is that I recommend to people to to spend some of the time strategically using Facebook in particular, Mm because Facebook's great for it, but any of the social media platforms, look at what triggers you. And then use that as an opportunity to move the trigger out so that it no longer triggers you. Mm. And so if you are, you know, if you spend five minutes a day to say, to look at it and to be engaging it in a way that is intentional, it's almost a mindfulness practice which brings you back into the equation. And I think that's really critical. I think the other thing with social media is that you have to find a balance that works for you. You know, I can find myself very easily just, you know, scroll, 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 Mm -hmm. scroll, scroll. (laughs) I'll close my phone because I'm like, Jesus, ah, stop it, right? (laughs) And then two seconds later, I'm opening Facebook again. And it's like, this is retarded. Like, I know better. But so we have to be intentional and we have to be willing to go through a little bit of pain because there is an immediate reward, an immediate dopamine reward when you open up Facebook and you see a like or you see a comment on your stuff. Mm-hmm. And, and we have to be going for the bigger reward, not those little tiny dopamine hits because that's the crack. Ooh, yeah, that's a good call out. We, yeah, we don't even realize that we have an addiction mm-hmm. to those those little pieces of validation because it, it truly is a chemical response in the brain. Absolutely. Oh, man. How do you feel about the concept of trigger warnings? So it's become, it's especially with more, um, I would say, liberal and, and progressive mm-hmm. friends of mine, um, they'll sometimes police other people's posts and say, hey, you should really have a, a trigger warning for X, Y, Z reasons. Yeah. Um, what are your I, thoughts on the whole thing? I like it and I hate it. So I like it because it's, you know, it is a respect of that there are a lot of people who live in trigger state, mm-hmm. but at the same time, it invalidates their ability to self-regulate. Mm. And I think we do far too much pandering and wiping people's asses in this society. Mm. Um, and it's about time that we start calling it out and say, you know what, how about you deal with your shit rather than you making it wrong for somebody else to sit date what they want to state. As long as a person is not stating things in a way that is hateful and harmful intentionally, then I think that the other person needs to take the responsibility of saying, what do I need to shift and change inside of me so that I'm not triggered 
buy your mm. stuff or don't open Facebook if you're that easily triggered. I'm mm. sorry. Mm. Like so a little, again, some responsibility. Go get some therapy and then open Facebook. I'm going to call that. Yeah. Wow. It's it's refreshing to hear that point of view because a lot of the people in my quote unquote social network echo chamber mm-hmm. feel very strongly in another way. And I think it's important to hear that truth because and, and I would wonder yeah. like the people yeah. who say that the people who are yeah. like you need a trigger warning on that yeah I'd be willing to bet that they still have some trauma like quite a bit of trauma right. that they need to heal and so they're trying to rescue the world because they need to heal mm-hmm. and it's like deal with your shit if yeah. you think you need to put trigger warnings on things heal your shit yeah and a lot of people who I've seen in my life they might be going through some degree of, I would call traditional therapy. Mm-hmm. But uh, I, I think there should be a, an acknowledgement that if you're doing one particular way of trying to solve for trauma or explore and, and develop the self, that isn't giving you some degree of result after a period of time. I think it's about time to maybe try another form. Try another, of, yeah. Yeah. And I think there's, you know, the, the deeper thing here, like, and I know I was kind of harsh there. <laughs> just like no, no, you like, were real. Raw. No, no, but that's fair. Call it out. It's like either the freedom that comes when we start to untangle our victim stuff. The freedom that comes from that is incredible. And I've been there. Like I've been this person who who would have been the one rallying against everybody and saying, "You need trigger warnings on everything. We need to bubble wrap everybody and keep everybody safe." <laughs> that would have been me. And having gone through all that I've gone through and all the healing work that I've done, I know just how much can shift when you actually do the inner work. And you're never going to feel safe in the world until you do. Mm-hmm. No matter how many trigger warnings there are, no matter how much people bubble wrap you, you will never feel safe. And so we have to, and that's my thing about the Me Too campaign. It's like, we got to get the fuck out of Me Too and go, now what? Let's heal the world instead yeah. of just talking about our pain. Oh, that's a big yeah. lift. Okay, sorry. No, no, I love it. No, it's good. No, it's the, the how do we heal the how world? We, that's, yeah, that's, like, that's, that's the big let's lift. Move. Boom. Yeah. No, I'm, I feel all rolled up right now. It's great. Um, last question for you before we, we start to wrap things up here. Um, I, I read a little bit on your blog. You you mention a big T versus little T trauma. Mm-hmm. Do you mind unpacking that a little bit? Because yeah. I feel like many of us in life, we have all suffered some degree of trauma. And I'm just curious what that means and how we can maybe start thinking about yeah. trauma in different ways. So examples of big T trauma would be people who've been through sexual assaults. Um, they were undergoing uh, childhood abuse like physical abuse or psychological abuse, those would be, you know, big impacts. So a big T is, has, it has a big overlay impact on your life and it, you know, it's woven in on everything. So for me, it took me many layers to heal the sexual trauma because that was a big T. Mm. And and so there's many aspects of it. Many, like a small T would be you're at work and your boss, you know, smacks your ass or gives you a, you know, it's like, wow, you look really hot in that. You know, that's, that would be what I would consider a small T because mm. it's not, you know, it's, it's not global. Mm. It will add to what you already have going because good chance you already have some big mm-hmm. T trauma. Mm-hmm. And so that little tree f- T feels like a big T mm. because it's tagged onto the other stuff. Mm. Um, 
And there's also, you know, little, little T, you know, for some people might be you were walking down the street and you overheard an assault Mm -hmm. or you're reading the newspaper. I mean, if we see things on the TV or we read them on the newspaper, it's as if we were right there. Mm -hmm. So those become small T traumas in our Mm -hmm. system. Got it. And in both cases, it's let's go get some healing yeah. to, to sort that out so yeah. we don't feel so, so they don't feel like these T's or you have the tools to be able to, to respond to say the little T's. Yeah. And I just want to like give a little shout out. So on my mm-hmm. website, um, in under the services, there is a completely free program. You don't even get on my email list from that. Um, resources for people who have been through sexual trauma and there's all the tools it's you know it's a complete program that walks you through moving some of this stuff out in a very gentle non-invasive way Ooh, that's amazing of you to be able to offer that good for you that's great and then one last thing because i'm taking a look at my notes here there's one one last thing i wanted to come back to um thinking about stereotypical dom energy so many of us we think of this leather clad very masculine type of energy stern exactly Mm -hmm. um versus how you perceive and articulate it a little bit more towards embracing it as feminine energy do you mind sharing a little bit about that idea yeah and i would say it's actually it's a for me, the dominatrix as an archetype, if I move that, you know, from being a real person to more of an archetype, mm. it becomes like a marriage of the masculine and feminine. Mm. So in the in the dungeon world, the the dom may present as a very masculine, very stern, you know, harsh, but there's there is still that element of feminine in that the scene has to play out with the intuition. There has to be a connection energetically. You have to be constantly aware of where your submissive is and what they're going through and what's going on with them. And so that requires a marriage of that masculine and feminine energy. And I translate that into business in that the masculine energy is the get shit done. I'm going to stay focused. I'm going from point A to point B and I'm getting there and nothing else is getting in the way. Mm -hmm. But then we also need to bring our feminine in uh, in the what do I need to be doing? What do I need to be channeling that energy towards? Mm-hmm. And when is now the time? Or do I put that aside? Or, you know, and so in marrying those two, you can be far more effective in a shorter period of time. Because sometimes the masculine, if you're all up in masculine, you are going for it and you're you're on track, but you could be going down the wrong path. Just running into a wall. Right. So you're quickly getting to the wrong place. Mm-hmm. Great. Um, and if you're all up in feminine, then you're like meandering down the path and checking out every coffee shop and every shoe shop along the way. And you're never getting there. <laughs> Are you talking about me again? No, no. Great. <laughs> <laughs> I never looked in your closet. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no. That's just going to validate exactly what you said. Anyway, keep going. <laughs> yeah. But when we when we bring those two together, then we have the power of both. Mm. And we all have masculine and feminine energy in us. It doesn't matter what gender you identify as. Mm. You could be a Z, you could be, you know, female, male, trans, whatever. You still have both masculine and feminine energy available to you. Mm. And you can call it yin and yang or, you know, whatever. You can give it different names if you don't like those names. Mm-hmm. And do those energies, uh, is it uh, just a different percentage? 
of each energy or do they just present in different ways? So here's how I like to look at it is like you've got, you know, the masculine and feminine energy walking down the street side by side. Mm -hmm. And at times the masculine will move in front and lead. Right. or will be the one steering where they're going. Mm -hmm. And at other times, the feminine is steering uh -huh. or leading. But they're always together. Got it. Very cool. Mm -hmm. All right. Interesting. And uh, before we move on to our last question, where can we find you online? Is there any other social stuff that you'd like to promote? Uh, so innerdominatrix.com is a great website to get started with. You can find the book, the free chapter, uh, resources, lots of goodies there. And I am most active on Facebook, although I'd rather not be, but <laughs> different story. Yeah. Um, I do have an advantage. I am the only Dana Ferrant in the world. So Ooh. Google me and there's, you know, 50 pages deep. So <laughs> fabulous. Yes. <laughs> that's rare that's really cool i know it is very cool and i have no middle name so Ooh, yeah even cooler yeah <laughs> fabulous all right question 10 is what is a lesson you learned the hard way that you'd like to share with our listeners yeah i i would say the hard way i would i would always try to do things myself i always try to figure things out and recently I've really been leaning on experts and, and taking their advice and trying it out their way first instead of it needing to be mine because I'm always set to rebel. So I would say... <laughs> you say you're always set to rebel? I'm a rebel, ah! absolutely through and through. Um, <laughs> yeah, so somebody will say, oh, you should do it this way. I'm like, no, nah, I'm going to figure it out on my own. That'll be good. Um, yeah, I would say observe people who are really kicking it in an area that you want to kick it. And if you see them showing up and doing, like really doing it, then listen to what they say. Boom. You heard it here first. Thank you so much, Dana. I learned a lot. You're an extraordinary woman. I'm so glad to have had you on. Thank you, Julie. It's been my pleasure. Thanks for listening, everyone. Find us on Facebook at Legit Lady Podcast. That's L-E-G-I-T-L-A-D-Y Podcast. And on Instagram at Legit Lady Podcast. On Twitter at Legit Lady Pod. That's Legit Lady P-O-D. And please rate and comment on iTunes and anywhere else you get your podcasts. If you love what you hear, share it broadly and proudly. Thanks, everyone.